state of being, our bi-monthly podcast about how you can live your best life. I'm Kat Cogren. And I'm Teddy Rockland, certified clinical hypnotherapist and registered psychotherapist. Together, we're going to explore topics that we all care about, like how to improve sleep, how to reduce anxiety, and how to have healthier relationships. We will be inviting expert guests to share their professional knowledge on each of these fascinating topics and so much more. At the end of each episode, we'll post a guided meditation so that you can reinforce the techniques and strategies that we've discussed. Each podcast, together with the associated guided meditation, will help you live your life more fully and reach a higher state of being. Welcome to Higher State of Being. I'm Kat Cogren, and with me, as always, is Teddy Rockland. Hi, everybody. So we're really excited to be rolling into our podcast flow here. Uh, This is our first one for July 2020. And I think I'm I'm putting that date in there because 2020 is is an important reason for this particular podcast and this particular subject. Um, But it always is, not just now, but it always is, but more so than ever. Isn't that right, Teddy? Absolutely. Uh, Today we're talking about anxiety and isolation. So although anxiety is a prevalent thing in all of our lives on a regular basis and the isolation part, especially now in light of the quarantine that's been going on for months and how people are feeling about this. Right, right. And, you know, anxiety is experienced by everyone at some point. And there are two different delineations. I mean, I'm sure there's a spectrum of anxiety, but we want to make sure that we're talking about the difference between the two main delineations? Well, there, as you said, there is a whole spectrum, the DSM, which is basically the the text Bible for the psychological community, um, offers many different distinctions of it. For our purposes today, we're just going to be making a distinction between clinical anxiety and situational anxiety. And you and I are going to be speaking primarily to situational anxiety. People who deal with clinical anxiety, this can be a lifelong struggle for people, often involving medication, years of therapy. Um, it's it's something going on in the actual brain. Uh, whereas right, right. our purposes, the situational anxiety is much more related to something is happening that causes you to feel anxious. Something is happening in your life that causes you to feel out of your own control and uncertain how to prepare for the future. So it's more like, in light of what's going on in someone's life right now. Right. More the situation. And today's situation, as you mentioned, is the quarantine, the isolation that comes with that and not knowing what the future is going to hold, what it's going to look like. We are in a a completely different situation that we've never been in before. And that's creating this situational anxiety. It's the uncertainty of the times. Absolutely. Absolutely. Of course, times are always uncertain, but now it's glaring right there in your face. So there's really no um, escaping for yourself, or if you can do, if you can manage yourself very well, it's managing the people around you who are dealing with these high levels of anxiety and depression and fear, uncertainty. Well, and another one that we're talking about is the isolation that comes along with that. And it's part of the situation, correct? 
Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Our normal coping skills that we use, you know, normally someone knows if they could just use a hug. Well, you can't have one. Someone knows that they could use some help. Well, you can't get it. You know, if you know what normally would help you deal with an anxiety provoking kind of situation in this kind of situation, you can't necessarily count on the people around you or be available to the people around you or get away from the people around you. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. It takes all, it takes forms in many shapes. Definitely. Well, one of the things that we want to make sure our listeners are clear on is these tools that we're, Teddy's going to be talking us through today. um, They can be used at any time though. Anxiety around money, anxiety around your kids growing up, anxiety around changing jobs. I mean, a lot of the topics that we are going to be talking about over the next few months in our podcast all trigger some sort of anxiety response usually, correct? And do. Um, A lot of the ones that we talk about are, things that provoke our fear response and how we can self-regulate to get to where we're actually dealing with the reality and not what we're afraid is or could be happening. Right. So what are some of the top problems? Uh, how does anxiety manifest itself in our beings when this is a, an issue? Mm-hmm. I ask that question of just about everyone who comes to me with any sort of Uh, issues of feeling anxious, tense, nervous. Uh, First of all, what are the physical symptoms? And what I hear very frequently, I feel like I have a rock in my stomach, or I feel like I have butterflies. I feel nauseous. There seems to be a lot related with the digestive system. They might feel um, advanced. People who have uh, anxiety for long periods of time will develop GERD, stomach ulcers, um, ulcers in the lower digestive tract. It can really lead to some very serious physiological symptoms. People express feeling a tightness in their throat. Um, They lock their jaws, they clench their fists, they focus their gaze into a glare. Um, Socially, it tends to affect people's relationships because I'm not tense, you're tense. It's such a normal thing. Um, Feeling antagonized when you're not being antagonized or being antagonistic when that isn't the tone that you meant to use. So it can have a big effect on us socially. And it also affects us in other ways, our, our self-esteem. Most of us don't like ourselves when we're tense or snippy or anxious or uptight. Um, and other people don't like us so much either. And then, of course, there's the moodiness. Um, right. We don't like feeling out of control. And feeling out of control of ourselves is one of the most provoking things that we experience. Um So these tools that we're going to be offering today and on the recording that you and I offer later um, is really going to be effective in helping people get to that state where they recognize their own behavior. They can deal with the reality of them. And once they can deal with the reality of them, they can usually more efficiently uh, and more benevolently deal with the world around them. Okay. You know, one of the things that when I feel anxiety talking about the symptoms and, and that I get this tightness right in the center of my chest, just right in between my heart and above my solar plexus. And I, it's like this tingly butterfly feeling. And it's definitely a signal to me. It's like, all right, I need to be aware and, you know, enact some of the tools or sometimes just even realizing that this disturbed feeling that I'm having is, anxiety and anxiety response, but being able to pay attention to those anxiety, um, you know, 
symptoms, I don't know what else to call them, I think is really a good start, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that you're talking about being aware of the symptoms, that's actually step one, is be aware of how you're feeling in there, because sometimes what you're reacting to is not happening. Sometimes it's just a thought. Sometimes right. it's a thought of something that might happen 15 years down the road. Sometimes it's it's reconnecting with something you felt 20 years ago. It's not necessarily what's real now. So the fact that as you're describing, you notice this feeling in your stomach, you notice this discomfort in your chest would be a cue for someone who is as mindful in the way that you are um, of, oh, I must be feeling anxiety. I'm going to stop for a second and have a look around me and make sure that what I'm afraid of isn't actually right here right now, because then right. you can deal with it. So we've talked a little bit, Teddy, about some of the physical, you know, manifestations of anxiety, but give us some examples of things that you hear that what people say so that maybe our listeners can connect with some of them and understand that there's this, you know, this is a common situational anxiety problem and this is the way some people feel. Right. Yeah. Thank you for asking that. I think this is really valuable. I, uh, has, I started jotting down notes with people who were talking to me about anxiety because I was hearing such patterns. And some of the biggest ones that I heard over and over again, I feel like there's not enough time. I feel like there's just not enough time. I have to do it all by myself. I can't do it all. I can't do it all by myself. It's, it, there's catastrophic thinking. Like this is situations are life and death that aren't actually life and death. People are talking about uh, feeling more panic, more panic attacks. One I hear a lot um, is feeling like they're on unstable ground. This, again, concept of feeling like they're living through an earthquake. Uh, They talk about just feeling exhausted, the heart racing, muscle tension, constipation, acidic stomach. They also talk quite a bit about poor, delayed or interrupted sleep and this pervasive feeling of being trapped or being caged. Like they just, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. Or I got to finish this. I got to finish this or I got to figure this out. I got to figure this out. There's an urgency that wouldn't necessarily normally be there for them. And these are all very real human examples of Mm -hmm. anxiety triggered feelings. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it feels very real at the time. So although they've gained two hours a day by not commuting, they still feel like I have less time to do what I'm trying to do. It's requiring a restructure of the way that people are functioning in their day-to-day life at a time when people weren't planning to undergo such significant change. So they feel unprepared. And that leaves them feeling uh, wobbly, shaky, insecure. For some people, it leaves them feeling unsafe. Hence the notice that you're safe. And let's go from there. Some of our normal coping mechanisms are not available. Tell us a little bit more about that. Oh, um, so with full permission of the people I spoke with, I thought what I'd really like to do is offer you some examples. A man that I knew in Colorado, um, a a lovely, lovely man, and he takes care of both of his aging parents. One, as I recall, has Alzheimer's, and the other that he shared with me had just had hip replacement surgery. As people were being uh, told not to come to the hospital, you can't stay in the hospital as long as you would need to to recover from this his 80-something-year-old mother was sent home from the hospital the day after having hip surgery. And he lives with his father with Alzheimer's. And he is sole caregiver for these people. Still has to go to work. He's an essential worker. And when he comes home, he is 
full on having to take care of these people. Not only can he not get them toilet paper, at least at the time, hopefully he has by now. Um, the, the father with the Alzheimer's is, is angry and screaming at him. I need toilet paper. Why aren't you doing this for me? And there, there's no break. There's no break for him. Um, his mother who's recovering, there's no break for him. She's in a whole lot of pain. And she's confused and doesn't understand why am I not with the doctors? Why are you taking care of me? You don't know what you're doing. You don't know anything about this. So he's getting it emotionally from both sides. His normal coping mechanisms would be go to church, connect with his church family. Um, He loves to go dancing. He can't do that right now. The man lives for hugs. And if he doesn't have a good source of a good, loving, genuine hug, he'll go get a massage. Can't do that right now. So he goes from work where everybody's very, very tense to home where he's taking care of two people who are very old and a lot of pain, very confused, and he can't get help and he can't get out. Well, that's some anxiety. (laughs) That's some isolation provoked anxiety. Um, And so these these tools are helpful to someone dealing with that level of situation. Uh, This amazing woman that I know lives in New York City. She's a healer. So she knows a lot of tools. She's got a lot of skills. Um, But as I said, she's a healer. So she also understands what could happen to her if she gets this virus. Um, There are people that she has known and loved and worked with professionally for a long time. She can't help them right now. Her business was not deemed essential. She's private practice and wasn't deemed essential. And so she just gets calls from these people saying, can you help me? Can you help me? No. And she can't. She's an acupuncturist. What's she going to do? You can't do that from more than six to 10 feet away. Um, So, and, and living in New York city where the quarantine was so understandably strict, she can't do her normal coping skills. She likes to go out and go for walks and socialize and just be around people who aren't bringing their issues right now, just to blow off some steam with some friends. Again, go dancing, salsa dancer, can't do that from 10 feet away. So these normal coping skills and the the stories go on and on. Everyone has their own way of dealing with the the challenge of not being able to live their normal life. And um, yeah, there's a lot, (laughs) there's a lot, there's good and bad. So yeah, I mean, I think of stories like People, I have coworkers that mm-hmm. are at home with their young children, and you know, part of their their normal coping skills is this organized day. Kids go to school, I go to work, we come home, we have meals. All of a sudden, now kids are home, I'm at home, I'm trying to be productive. The kids are in some sort of learning or playing or needing attention all the mm-hmm. time, as kids do, understandably. But now. This parent doesn't have that normal break in an organization. So that's a big example of what's going on right now, for sure. Absolutely. And the mess that they make. Four yeah. kids <laughs> all day is very different than four kids home for two hours before bedtime. Right. Totally. Totally. So well, what can we do about it? I mean, you know, if our normal coping skills aren't there, we're in this anxiety-fueled, isolation-fueled environment Mm-hmm. What are we going to do? What's the solution? Well, I think that your observation of first things first, notice what's going on with you. Um, what happens in anxiety, and this is a, a theory of mine that I've had a, 
good deal of support for. I can't give a specific documentation of where this research comes from off the top of my head. Um, but this idea of fight, flight, freeze, when we're in a life or death situation, we're going to go into fight, flight, freeze like any mammal would. Um, in my in my guess, in my uh, estimation, um, fight is anxiety that can't be expressed. Um, flight is depression or a need to just get away. Freeze is emotional paralysis or indecisiveness. So with this situation where people feeling like they can't be in control of themselves, they can't have their normal, they can't get a break, they can't get help, they can't, they can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I'm trapped. And a lot of people are expressing this trapped feeling when we feel trapped, we're going to either want to come out swinging, we're going to want to cower in a corner, or we're just going to stand there paralyzed with our jaw chattering, not knowing what to do with ourselves. Those are all overreactions to a quarantine for a virus. Who are you going to punch? What corner are you going to hide in? What are you going to do about this? So this fight, flight, freeze that so many people seem to be having, approaching this with the fight, flight, freeze model, which would be um, to pause for a moment, three slow, steady exhales. It's always in the exhales. That's when we calm down. And notice, is there anything I need to be punching right now? No. Okay. Is there anything I need to be cowering in the corner from right now? No. Do I need to be standing in the middle of the room with my teeth chattering, not knowing what to do? No, I know what to do. I know what to do. Keep a safe distance. Um, wear a mask. I'm sure some people would disagree with me on that. Um, there are certain things that we have been told medically are good ideas what to do. Step right. one, you have some idea what to do. As you're bringing your awareness to your exhales and noticing, I don't have to be in fight, flight, freeze right now. Your limbic brain, that reptilian part of your brain, the reactive part of your brain, can kind of take a little rest while your prefrontal cortex, your PFC, the part of your brain that does the, the reasoning, the logic, the humor, the problem solving, can get more fired up. So the reptile's taking a little nap. There's nothing I need to react to. I don't have to bite anything. I don't have to run away. Okay, then human brain, what do I do with this? Where can you put humor into your life? Where can you have social connections, even if they're not the way you prefer them? Where can you expand your way of perceiving your life? Where can you get to this higher state of being? Recognize exactly where you are and what your options are. Talk to other people about what your options are. Listen to podcasts about what your other options are. So you can be out of fight, flight, freeze, and more in a state of, oh yeah, this is absolutely not my favorite. I'm looking forward to getting on a plane and traveling again. But for now, I'm going to get some, some downloadable books and learn about the next place I want to travel to so I can feel optimistic and positive about it. I'm going to reach out to an old friend I've been thinking about and haven't called for a long time. I'm going to catch up on my sleep, whatever the, the case may be. I'm going to get present and go from there. A couple of takeaways that I, that, that I have here on this is, first of all, Use that moment when you're into that fight, flight, or freeze brain, that reptilian brain, to actually, it's an opportunity to exercise that higher state of being. And so it's an opportunity to look at it that way, taking those three breaths, looking at what can I do right now. Yes, I can't do what I would really like to do, but mm -hmm. I can do something very, very different or very, very similar, just 
within the boundaries of what can happen right now. Mm-hmm. So honestly, going back to our very first podcast, this is an opportunity to really exercise that neuroplasticity. Absolutely. In a way that, I mean, when you look, I'm a silver linings kind of gal, as most people know, Um, (laughs) when you look at it that way, it's like, oh, my normal coping mechanisms, my go-tos, even though they might be wonderful, right? Sure. Now I get a chance to create a new pathway and a new opportunity and a new way of looking at things Mm -hmm. to move forward from anxiety. Absolutely. Because I think for so many of us and myself included, no one is no one is immune from this. I was feeling very anxious just this morning. I woke up in a whole lot of pain in my neck. I was very uncomfortable. Um, the normal things that I would like to do aren't available to me right now. I'm not going to be going to certain yoga classes and there's certain things I'm my normal ways of bringing the anxiety from the pain down. And I remembered this idea of pain is a messenger. What's the message? Put your head down. And I can. Um, so it's a a wonderful thing. So myself included, sometimes we have a hard time making this distinction between unsafe and unsatisfactory, unsafe or insecure. Are you unsafe? Handle it. Are you just, boy, this isn't where I want to be working from. Oh, I can't wait until I can get on a train again. Whatever the, this is not my preference is, does not make you unsafe. So you can bring that down. Again, we're talking about situational anxiety, not clinical anxiety. And if someone is dealing with a level of anxiety that is so unmanageable that they have needed care in the past or think that seeking more psychiatric help would be a good idea, by all means. There's also nutritional supplements that people can take. Um, There's also exercises that people can do. But just approaching it from this purely situational situation, getting real with what the situational situation is, what really is going on here? I need to go out and go for a walk. I need to have a long bath. I need to get in the shower. I need to write. I need to sleep. I need to, what do I need? Because I'm not unsafe. So first things first, am I safe? And if the answer to that is yes, three deep breaths. Yep. And then start to look at it differently. What can I do instead? How can I bring this level of anxiety down? What is it? What do I, what are my options in reality to make that happen? Sure. And I have been noticing a a significant number of people, especially recently, because this is profound now. I always work with people on anxiety. It's a very normal thing to work on, but the clientele has doubled (laughs) since the, since this came and a lot of the new clients are coming with anxiety. So I, I want people to know these things. Are you safe? Yes. Okay. Breathe. Now with a clearer brain, cause you got more oxygen flowing and your heartbeat's more regulated and your breathing's more regulated and you know that you're safe. Where is it that you want to go from here? Excellent. So one of the things that I know people tend to do, and, and sometimes I can do it too, is, is start to obsess on the anxiety trigger, whatever that is, right? Um, it happens to me, especially in the middle of the night. I'll wake up and there'll be this anxiety trigger. And yes, I know I'm safe. I can do my mantras and everything with that cycle in my brain. I start obsessing on whatever it is, you know? How can we start to change our, our mindset around something that's really creating an obsessive moment within our brains during anxiety. 
sure. I certainly have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, the first thing I would like to say in an address to that is, and good luck with this one, everybody, don't commit to an emotion. Just because you woke up feeling anxious doesn't mean that now you're going to be anxious until you go to work and then you're going to bring this anxiety and you're going to have a bad day. You don't have to commit to an emotion. Um, The number that I have been told repeatedly is an emotion will last up to 15 seconds if you don't repeat it. Huh. Huh. So I can't promise that it's actually 15 seconds, but it is certainly, certainly less than a half hour. If you are feeling this same level of intensity, and again, if this is not clinical, If you're still feeling this a half hour from now, you are fulfilling your expectations like crazy. Good job. Right. You're Um, obsessing on that feeling and taking it with you and perpetuating it instead of just letting it come and go. I would would encourage the same thing with the emotional symptoms of anxiety as with the physical symptoms of anxiety. As you were saying, I noticed this sensation in my chest. I noticed this sensation in my gut. Great. Notice these thoughts happening in your head notice this, oh my goodness, am I committing to this? Am I determined that this is how I'm going to feel? No, I woke up feeling anxious. Oh, I remember Teddy talking to me about dreams. And when you wake up in the middle of the night, it's normally during the venting stage of your dreaming process. And that's when you're venting out the thoughts you're anxious about. So of course I'm thinking anxious thoughts. And I just happened to have heard a noise outside the window and it woke me up and I'm still there. (sighs) In my I'm bed, safe. warm with my head supported. I'm safe, right? right? right. Exactly, exactly where you were just going to go. So first I'm things safe. first, don't commit to an emotion. Um, grief is a little different, and that's not what we're talking about today. Right, so, yeah. This isn't For usually sure. something that has to be processed through over the course of hours or weeks or days. I woke up feeling anxious, so I have to journal for three days and take an a anti-anxiety pill. Probably not probably just notice that you're okay. Calm down and go back to sleep. Right. Um, and I know it's easier said than done, but it's easier done than not done. So what are some other ways to stay out of that anxiety whirlpool that, you know, it, it to me, it's a really good analogy. We, we talked about it in our, our pre-conference before the mm-hmm. podcast recording, the whirlpool. And when I wake up with that anxiety, if I allow that to happen, I just get sucked down into it. What are some other strategies our listeners can, you know, take with them when they wake up or when they go to the office or when they're stuck in traffic, (laughs) whenever that anxiety is triggered, what are some strategies? Oh, boy, what I really want to do right now is ask you for an example. Um, (laughs) Well, we can stay with the waking up in the middle of the night. You know, I wake up and I'm like, oh my gosh. Mm Mm-hmm. It's, it's always the things I didn't get done, right? It's the, I need to do this. I need to do that. This is behind. I might not make this deadline. You know, mm-hmm. I have a very deadline oriented career. And there's also the funding aspect of it, you know, raising the funds to, to get to the next level. So mm-hmm. yeah, I can go down that whirlpool pretty quick, especially in the middle of the night. Okay. But what I've been doing and, you know, parse, you know, part of it is my meditation practice is very strong. And I've learned that first of all, I acknowledge the thing I wake up, I'm safe. There's absolutely nothing I can do about it right now. There's some strategies in our sleep podcast that we talk about. They're very similar. There's nothing I can do about it right now. So take some deep breaths. I have a mantra that works very, very well for me. 
Um, so I start saying that mantra, calming down, mm-hmm. you know, sa, ma, ta, na. And I just do that till I go back off to sleep because I've identified those, A, I'm safe. B, this is a whirlpool I could get sucked in pretty quick and I don't want to. Mm-hmm. Really can't get up and do anything about it right now at four in the morning or I'm going to have a even worse day. Right? <laughs> and then I pull my mantras out of the, out of my bag of tricks and calm down and go back to sleep. And that's really effective. That's something that's worked for me quite, quite well. Sure. For some people, they turn on a, a meditation or one of these recordings to help calm mm-hmm. themselves, down, do a progressive relaxation, relaxing from your legs up. But the first thing that I would want to encourage someone to do, as you were giving a very fine example of just now, get present and notice one thing that's already just fine. What's just fine for you, you already have a tool you know works for you. That's a pretty fine thing to be able to be immediately aware of. How's the pillow? Um, Would you be more comfortable if you bent your legs? Do you need to go to the bathroom? Is there something you could handle right now? Mm, Yeah, sure, okay, go ahead. Hopefully it's not get up in the middle of the night and, and work for the next four or five hours unless that will actually help. But a lot of people, when they wake up in the middle of the night, are afraid that they're going to forget what it was they remembered during the night. So the obvious simple thing, a notepad with a pen by the bed, not your smartphone, because shining artificial light in your eyes confuses your brain because it thinks it's daytime. So I really recommend against shining any kind of light in the direction of your face when you're trying to get yourself to sleep or to go back to sleep. Um, And then just start to notice what's already fine that you forgot to notice. Oh, oh, my heart's racing. I must be anxious. Okay. Is your left foot still there? Sweet. That's really good. And gravity's still working. You're still able to be horizontal. Good for you. Um, Maybe you notice that you can control your breathing pattern. Maybe you notice that you're really glad you changed the sheets last night. This feels really good. Maybe you notice that you can hear your child sneezing in the other room or whatever. Okay, they're where they're supposed to be, they're fine. Notice something or hopefully some things that are already just fine exactly as they are. So if there's something you need to do right now, go do it right now and then relax. And this goes for daytime hours too. You'll notice that anxiety comes up during the day. It's not just about sleep, the anxiety comes up during the day. And you can start to notice, all right, am I feeling anxious because there's something I have to do right now? Kat, I can't tell you how many people tell me I didn't realize what I needed to do was go to the bathroom. <laughs> so, oh, my gosh. Oh, I'm so stressed. Yeah. We'll, be in a, we'll be in a meeting and they'll start getting all anxious. And I'll lean over and say, you good? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Do you, need, do you need water? Do you need to go to the bathroom? Oh, oh, my God. Yeah, I'll be right back. Really? Really? (laughs) So being aware of what actually needs to happen now, what doesn't need to happen right now. Right. And what's already all right, right now. So focus on what's already fine, what's already okay. Yep. And what's the one thing you can do? So if you're awake, it might be go to the bathroom. Even if you're asleep, it might be go to the bathroom. But go to the bathroom first. Something that you can do. Right. Right. And there's always something positive that you can focus on because part of what's going on with the anxiety is you feel out of control. I don't know what's going to happen. I can't predict the future. I don't know that I can create the future. I feel out of control. I feel anxious. Oh my God. 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 (sighs) 
what do I actually need to be controlling right now? What do I actually need to be controlling right now? Probably not much. Right. Um, and if there is, handle it the best that you can. Now, of course, again, it sounds like we might be minimizing this. It's a very real thing that people are experiencing. It feels extremely real at the time. But most of the things that we worry about never happen. Most of the things that keep you up in the middle of the night never happen. And if, if you need it to happen, do it or jot it down. But most of the things that we worry about never actually come to pass. So all of that anticipatory anxiety can keep us in a state of feeling like we have to be anxious now because what if that? That probably won't. And if it does, you'll be clear-minded, calm, well-rested, nourished with coping skills, and you'll handle it better later than you would right now. So get getting clear, getting grounded, and being present with what's the situation right now? What am I really dealing with right now? Does that make right. sense? Yeah, no, it totally does. Okay. You know, we wouldn't be talking about anxiety if it wasn't an issue. But also, some of our biggest issues really have very strategic yet simple strategies in order to, to work through it, for sure. Mm -hmm. So there's this whole thought process about being able to live well through the isolation. I mean, obviously we see TV commercials about it. We have all of our Zoom meetings and happy hours and things like that. But, but let's really break it down a little more. I mean, what is the advice that you would give to your friend who can't go dancing or go out and, and go to church to get his normal relief and you know, sure. break through that isolation anxiety or a mom or father who's home with their kids, trying to homeschool, take care of them and be productive at work. Mm -hmm. Or even your healer friend who can't do her hands-on work. And also not only can she not do her work, but she can't go have her normal release to deal with her anxiety and isolation. What mm -hmm. are some tactics and, and tips that we can do there to live right. well? I think for a lot of people, this is, and again, very Pollyanna, but um, I think this is a wonderful opportunity for people to broaden their coping mechanisms, to broaden the, the number of things that they can feel will actually help them. Um, yeah, you can't have your first choice. You can't go to the place that you like to go to dance with the people you like to dance with. What's the next best thing that you actually can do? Oh, so they have these Zumba classes online. Maybe you can take these Zumba classes and then when the quarantine is over and you can go back to the gym, you're already comfortable with the steps and you know how to do this. Oh, so you're not able to do your normal acupuncture work. That is a bummer for everybody, especially the patients. That's a bummer. But just in case this ever comes up again, can you take this opportunity to learn some not so hands-on tools so you can still be available? You can still do your healing work even if you can't be in the room with somebody at this moment. So yeah, you can't have your priority. You can't have what you want, but what is your next best thing that you actually can have in your life? And then keeping in mind that this is temporary. This is temporary. So what do you, what do you want to be different later? Do you want to have gone a little further in your degree? Do you want to have made deeper connections with old friends? Do you want to, what, what do you want your world to look like on the other side of this temporary experience? Do and you start want to going your, 
Mm-hmm. Do you want to You're finally not- launch that podcast? <laughs> Do you want to launch the podcast? Yeah. When you know where you want your feet to be six months from now, point your feet in the direction that you want your feet to be going six months from now, what can you possibly do to improve that now? What can you do now to have a life that you want as soon as possible? But the the coping skills you have now are not the only coping skills available to you. There are more. And it's, Mm -hmm. as we already said, it's an opportunity to to create some new coping Mm -hmm. mechanisms and some new pathways and really bring your, even to a higher state of being, through this opportunity. Right, right. One of the greatest things when you bring up the higher state of being about going this possible direction um, with expanding what you find fun, expanding what you find fulfilling, expanding what you have to offer, is it allows you to come back to the state of appreciation rather than entitlement. Well, this is what I do. This is what I always do. I should be able to do what I should always be able to do. I want what I want. I want what I want. That's unfortunate. Who hasn't felt that for sure? But when you have these new things, when you're learning new things and you're firing up again, that frontal part of your brain, these new novel ideas are going to be exponential in the benefits and you can actually feel more appreciation. You have more skills, more hobbies, more connections, more of what you wanted, but weren't finding the time for. And you can appreciate it because you don't feel like you deserve it yet. You feel like, wow, this is really cool. Yeah. Right. This is new. I'm learning something. Mm -hmm. Master, you know, one little thing that I've done during this, uh, since the quarantine started, and, and I do this at other times when I'm in a situation that's going to make me anxious, mm-hmm. is I make sure I make myself write in my gratitude journal every single night before bed. That's and right. I put in, you know, it's like, you know, I, I just make sure that that is a, a requirement of ending my day is mm-hmm. I'm going to put a note in the journal about what I, what it is I'm grateful for, what I learned, what was different. And I found that just having that moment of reflection, it takes five minutes if that. Mm-hmm. It just really sets up that whole calming thing. And it's, it's profoundly powerful, but that is the one thing yeah. I, de- I definitely do in times of anxiety. If yeah. I have to be yeah. on a trip, you know, for work and away from the people I love or in a situation, you know, whatever it is, I find that to be a really great strategy. And then yeah. when life is just going on normal and there's no anxiety. I forget to write in that journal all the time. But, <laughs> <laughs> but now you'll have this forever, your list of things you're grateful for. And I really love that you bring that up and that you brought up the mantra earlier. I only have one mantra myself um, and I try to employ it whenever possible. It really, really works for me. Um, it's those three breaths. And I notice three things around me that I'm that I, I like right now. They're good right now. I love that it's so easy for me to breathe right now. There have been times when I couldn't breathe this easy. My face was underwater too long or, you know, I was holding a note longer than I should while I was singing, whatever. There have been times when breathing hasn't been this easy. Exhale one. That was wonderful. I love the color of the paint that's on the wall in that room where I am at the time, or the sound of the birds out. What are three things on your exhales that you can be really grateful for? And then my mantra is this, I am grateful for this and open to something even better. I am grateful for this because that takes you out of the anxious. Oh my God, I got to get out of here. I got to, oh my God, this is so bad. No, it's not so bad. It's really, really not so bad. And I'm open to something even better. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. that is one of my favorite mantras too, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we often end our work together with that statement. I'm open to this and something even better. Yep. Yep. I am grateful. I am grateful. And finding the silver linings when, when you can, you know, where if you're not thrilled with what's happening right now, what's good enough that you can at least feel stable here? A lot of times when people are feeling anxious because they're feeling unstable, they're on unstable ground, they feel like the one I'm hearing is I feel like I'm going through an earthquake. Okay, I hear you. I hear you. Are you right now? Or are you just frustrated because you don't like what's happening? Because that's true, too. That's a big deal, too. But one is this is an earthquake. And the other is I need to find some stability in my life. I need some routine. I need some structure. So, yeah, what what are we actually talking about here? So what is that anxiety telling you? Again, when I have that tightness Mm -hmm. in my chest and that little fluttery feeling that I know is anxiety, Mm -hmm. I can say, what is this trying to tell me? What is this I'm anxious about in reality? And then look for that. Like you said, this is not an earthquake, but I need more stability in my life. Right, right. Yeah, I don't feel stable in my relationship with my boyfriend, but I feel very stable in my relationship with these three girlfriends and this chair. And when I walk, I don't usually fall. So yay. Yay. (laughs) Yeah. What's the anxiety telling me to be paying attention to that I already have can be a helpful approach. So what's this whole concept of FOMO to JOMO? Oh, actually, this was brought up by a conversation that you and I were having um, a few weeks ago. We were talking about what's what's something really good that's coming out of this for you? I think the conversation was with you. What is something that, that positive, that's positive mm-hmm. that's coming out of this for you? Um, and my answer was, I thought I was such an extreme extrovert and I didn't want to be missing things. And I would go through the, uh, the events uh, page in Westwood, which is the local rag on like, hey, what's happening where we live? Um, but wherever I lived, I'd pick up that, oh, and I can do these four things on Saturday night or these two things on Sunday morning sound cool. And if there was something that sounded great and I wasn't going to do it, I felt lazy. And ah, now yeah. these things aren't there to do. And I'm realizing I like my company and my home and my neighborhood and my I, there's so many things that I like about being exactly where I am that I think when the world opens up again, I'll probably want to do maybe about a tenth of what I used to feel like I'd be missing out if I didn't. So FOMO or um, or what was JOMO? I actually JOMO, looked it up. JOMO, it was the joy of missing joy out. Joy of missing out. Thank you. I love your memory, Kat. You are just my favorite. Yeah, fear of missing out and the joy of missing out. I had no idea that I would enjoy this time so much. That's really good. What What's one of the highlights for you? Uh, you know, I think for me, it's it's the opportunity to be more present and creative instead of racing from one thing to the next. I always would feel like I'd get done with one meeting and I had to be in the next meeting. I had to meet the next deadline. And, you know, I, I, I'm a fast paced person. It's great. Right. But now I can step back and do things with more clarity. I can spend more time on them. I can go deeper and really finding the, the creative time has been amazing for me in this whole Teddy, my fa- my last question I always ask. <laughs> what are your closing thoughts? Um, 
for starters, um, I would like any of our listeners to understand that I am in no way attempting to diminish the reality of the feeling of anxiety. If you're dealing with something clinical, if you're dealing with something that needs to be seen with a medical or a psychiatric professional, please, please do. There's such a stigma around getting mental health. And um, I so wish that weren't the case. If that's not your case, if that this is not a matter of I'm actually afraid that I'm not going to be able to get through this, um, then using some of these tools, the exhaling really does help because it vibrates your vagus nerve, which calms your nervous system down. Singing is a really good thing to be doing. Exercising is a really good thing to be doing. Talking, listening, being very mindful about what you're putting into your brain. A lot of people are staying home and they're watching news after news after news after news past or they're, they're reading the paper, or they're watching movies about pandemics, or they're binging on, on, on documentaries about serial killers or whatever. You know, if you're not going to have your normal coping skills, maybe you want to be running less anxiety and stress through your nervous system. And totally. take the control that you can take most of what's happening in your life right now. For most of the people listening, most of the things happening in your life right now are things that you look back on five years from now, and it will be like, wow, I thought that was a really big deal. And it really wasn't. So where can you get present? Find your stability. Find your other coping skills. Expand yourself if that's something that you actually want to do. Get some good sleep. Eat some healthy food. Notice you're okay. And be kind to everybody around you. Wow. I love that as a closing thought for today. Be mm-hmm. kind to yourself mm-hmm. and everyone around you. Awesome. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, thank you all very much for listening. There will be, as always, a guided meditation to go along with this. Mm -hmm. And we'll see you in two weeks. Uh, We'll be coming up with, I think it's our Better Sleep podcast. So this one kind of primed people for that one. Good timing. Good timing. Thanks, Kat. Awesome. All right, Teddy, Mm -hmm. see you soon. See you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Higher State of Being. We invite you to visit higherstateofbeing.com and become part of our community. Here you will find the guided meditations and resources to help you on your journey. Subscribe and get full access to all downloadable meditations, deeper resources, and much more. Visit higherstateofbeing.com.